mess this morning. My uh, shirt doesn't have a pocket for my glasses, so I have to carry them, and I know I'm going to lose those. And on the trip, my watch went on the fritz, and we got back yesterday morning early, and I didn't get one. So I have a phone in my pocket to check the time so we don't go forever. And I'm, I'm just opposed to that. I don't like people going up there with their cell phone, so I apologize for that. But we'll, we'll get through this. I do appreciate all of the, the words, the, the cards, the prayers, etc., for our family. Um, a week ago this morning, just about a little after 7, got word that my mom had passed away. And she was definitely, we knew she was winding down. It was just a matter of uh, time. Uh, She had been non-responsive for a couple of days at that point, so we were very much expecting that. And uh, we were able to drive back uh, Thursday. We left Thursday morning and drove back and uh, did funeral Friday morning uh, at our home church in Dublin, Ohio, is where we're originally from. And then uh, about two hours to northwest Ohio, where both my mom and dad are from. And uh, we did our graveside there and uh, then drove back after that, left about three or so uh, Thursday afternoon and got back early Friday morning. All went very smoothly, so we appreciate your prayers in that. Other than the car. Our car, our Honda Pilot, which we love dearly, it has 265,000 miles so far. And so now when we go on a trip, if we go to Florida or out west or, or, or even to Ohio, we generally rent a cheap car and do that trip. And so my wife is in charge of that, or she was. She used to be. And so she always calls, and we, I, I, I don't apologize for this, but in this case it didn't work out the best. We're notoriously tight. Now many of you can identify that. It, it's not that we're not generous or whatever, we're just frugal and we try to get the, the most for our money. So that means when you call to reserve a car at, at the local car place here at Enterprise, that you say, I want, used to be the subcompact, but you say, I want the economy car now. That sounds better than subcompact, right? And so we did that, got a great price on that thing. It gets like 112 miles a gallon, you know, just incredible. And Marla said, and it's so I'm going, Marla's going, and our son Robbie's going, all grown adults. And we get there, or before we get there, and Marla says, don't worry about that. We're not going to get those. We always get upgraded. Generally, we get upgraded two categories. So we're thinking, oh, that's great, Nissan Sentra or whatever it is. We got there almost right when it opened, 7.30, and uh, I went in, and they went to get the stuff out of the pilot, parked it and so forth to put it in the uh, rental car and the new car. And uh, we were doing the business and, and uh, the lady said all excitedly, she said, hey, we've got a Ford Fiesta for you. I really didn't know what a Ford Fiesta is, but it's one of those that sets the world record like a VW Beetle for cramming the most people in, you know, and you look at the pictures and their faces are against the glass and stuff like that. So we looked at that and we kind of thought, you know, we're in trouble here a little bit, three of us, and driving about 24 hours, 12 each way, and so forth. But, but it was cute. And the first four or five hours, it was almost halfway there, it was somewhat of an adventure. 
I had no idea that there were cars that would sat that low. This is no kidding. Maybe you have one or been in one, but no kidding. When you pull up to a drive-through window to get your food or whatever, you are literally going like this <laughs> to hand them the money and stuff. And you know, a normal car, you're like this, but this is way up there. And it is just absolutely crazy. And the whole time you're thinking, okay, we're getting 40-some miles a gallon on the deal. This looks great. But about halfway back to Ohio, we started learning the meaning of the term. I, I really didn't know what they meant when they talked about pressure points in the body. Shoulders, back, the hips. I mean, the hips were crazy. And we made it to Ohio, but then after the graveside service starting back, that, that was agony. I've ever seen. First we thought, you know, the best seat of the three, there's three, there's the front seat, the back seat, or the, the passenger seat, and kind of the back seat. We thought the best seat was the passenger side. Well, that wore off soon. That was terrible on your left hip. And then we thought the back seat was best. Now, there was no leg room, but you turned sideways, and you kind of pulled your knees up to you, and that's the way you sat. And then we decided, no, it must be the driver's seat, so everybody wanted to drive, which is a good thing. But then that sat on, so I, I don't, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> guess, and if you see my wife, you tell her, guess how much it was to upgrade? Two dollars. <laughs> Two dollars. We are done being quite that frugal. We're going to spend the two dollars. Uh, again, we talked about Jim and Rhoda will be here uh, in worship in uh, three weeks. He'll begin in the office uh, two weeks from tomorrow, the week leading up to it, and be here to worship in, uh, with us, to lead worship with us in uh, three weeks. And we are really excited about it. It's going to be a, uh, a new chapter in our church's service to the Lord and, and kingdom work and in I think we approach it, I do, I, I hope you do, I think we all do, uh, with a spirit of excitement and, and expectancy. And not, not an expectancy where, hey, Jim's coming, Jim will do everything or anything like that, but expectancy about what the Lord can do through him and through all of us together. And I'm confident that the Lord has things that he wants us to do together. And I think, I, sometimes I just hear things and they're not exactly accurate, but I think this is true. I think, as I understood it, today is his last Sunday preaching at Galesburg. And then after that, he'll take a week or two off to have a little vacation, but then to get ready to come here. So this time right now, in the next hour or two, or maybe right now, is going to be really, really difficult. When, when a church and a minister that have been together a long time um, leave each other, and it's not under bad circumstances or anything, that is really, really difficult. So I, I would encourage you to pray for them, uh, especially this morning and this week as, as they leave there and they prepare to come here to Countryside. Okay, but it's going to be an exciting time. All right, we're uh, studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and the way I chose to do this is uh, just simply, I had five weeks left uh, that I was preaching, and I chose the book of 1 Thessalonians, not only because I like it and it has great messages, 
uh, for us, from God to us. But also, because it had five chapters and we could study one each week and almost really work our way each Sunday through a whole chapter, and then at the end of that, have covered almost word for word the whole book. This morning we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn to that. We uh, remember, just, just briefly, um, Paul in his travels, and, and Paul had different traveling companions. You probably heard that, Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and John Mark and so forth. But uh, this particular time he had with him a young man named Silas and Timothy, and they were traveling on a missionary journey what we call that now, a missionary journey. And as they came to the city of Thessalonica, kind of a difficult environment, and especially as Paul came and began to preach and to teach about Jesus, uh, they, they, many of the people, particularly even religious people, it wasn't just people who weren't religious, it, it was even some of the Jewish people who were against the suggestion, the idea, that Jesus of Nazareth was or could be the Messiah. And so almost immediately they began to oppose Paul and cause problems for him. Well, in the course of his staying there, uh, Paul and his companions staying in the city of Thessalonica, there were, however, other people that were receptive to that and became Christians and became part of the early uh, church there. So before Paul and his traveling companions left, there were Christians who became a church, and then Paul eventually left because of that severe opposition. Now, as he continued to travel to Athens and so forth, uh, Paul, of course, they were very much on his heart. And he finally, you see this right here, this is where we know why, how we know that that's what happened. Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. He didn't go himself. I don't know if that was um, things going on where he was at, or he thought he would be more of a target and a magnet for that opposition if he himself went back, but he sent Timothy back. And he wanted Timothy to check on him. How's it going? How are you doing? We know there's still opposition there. That hasn't died down just because Paul left. Are you staying faithful, etc.? But he also wanted Timothy, if that were the case, to encourage them. Chapter 3 is kind of where you find out about all of that. Now, um, so Paul sent Timothy to them. Again, he's going to just check on them, find out about their faith, he says. He's going to strengthen and encourage them. And he's going to say several times in this chapter to them, and, and I think to us, because this is cranking up. There are going to be trials, not literal trials, but it might result in that. And there are going to be persecutions that are coming. They're happening, more are coming, make it stronger. Now, two things I see here, um, kind of overall. He wants them to stand firm. And he's even going to commend them. You guys are standing firm. And then he wants their hearts to be strong. And that's not something they do themselves or maybe even just get naturally from 
being Christians. It's something that God does for them. He wants God to strengthen their hearts. Let's look at their standing firm, first of all. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. And let me first read the first five verses, and you'll get the idea of what's going on here. You, you, you'll say, hey, you know, Dan told us that, and he's not far off. At least I hope you get that idea. So when we could stand it no longer, and he's just talking about his own um, concern for them. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And so we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith <coughs> so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. That's what they're still going through, as did Paul when he was there, to see if it's, you're doing okay. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, and that would be Satan, might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. So, that's kind of the summary of what's going on that we've been talking about. It's in the middle of the book, right in the middle, but that tells you um, what Paul did and what he's doing now and why he writes this letter and what he's concerned about and all of that. Okay, So that's the background of it. Paul was worried about them. If they were able to stay strong in their new faith, remember they haven't been Christians a long time. They're not as seasoned in that as most of us are. They haven't been through the ups and downs and all that kind of thing. They're just starting. Now, I think the first major idea is, is talking about their standing firm. Timothy comes back. You're going to see that, verse 6. But Timothy, remember he sent Timothy. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he's brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, he uses that word our, O-U-R, our distress and persecution. Paul went through that. He may even be going through that now. And they're going through that. So they're going through distress and persecution together. In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And now we really live. And now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly, not only that we may see you again, but to supply what is lacking in your faith. Again, I think the overall idea, maybe of the whole book, is that one. That when Paul checks on them through Timothy, Remember, they didn't have 
email, Facebook, telephones, any of that stuff back then, they had to send a messenger. And however many days and weeks that took for them to get there, sometimes it was walking, sometimes it was riding, sometimes they had to take boats and all that kind of thing. However long it took them to get there, to stay a little while to find out how they were doing, and not just find out, but to encourage them. And then to come back, that's how long it took for Paul to get word of how they were doing. So Timothy's just now come back and said that you guys are standing firm, and I think that might be the overall message of the book. Standing firm. They haven't backed off. They haven't been scared off. They haven't run off. They haven't dropped off of God's radar. They're still going strong. And not just going strong, they're growing in their faith. They're, they're not just getting by, they're growing in their faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. He says several things. I've heard good news about you. Now, we talked about good news before, and in the first and second chapter, the word for good news there is gospel, and that means the good news typically about Jesus Christ coming, and oftentimes the good news about his resurrection. So Paul uses that often in this book. Here he's not so much talking about the good news about Jesus Christ as he is, we heard good news about you. You're doing well. He mentions specifically their faith and their love. He also underscores the strong relationship that they have with each other. You know the body of Christ should be that way. It should be that way. The ones that are here right now and part of our body, maybe they can't come very often on Sunday mornings anymore because of health or, or whatever. Maybe they've moved away, and they're part of another body. But the body of Christ should be that way. The people stay tied together because they're tied to the Lord. Paul says, we have pleasant memories of you. Can you imagine that? Their pleasant memories had to have been they were gathered in somebody's primitive house or someplace away where they weren't likely to be discovered. And they're worshiping together. And they're trying to encourage each other. And yet they're glad to be together. They're excited about each other. They remember even those difficult times as pleasant memories. They long to see each other again physically, though they know they have no idea when that might happen. He's encouraged about them because of their faith, and because of their faith despite distress and persecution. Verse 9, he says, I'm thankful for you. Is that just some kind of vague pie-in-the-sky Gratitude, no. It's thanking God for them, for them responding to his preaching and teaching and staying faithful. 
one of the things that we as church leaders need to be doing is praying for our people and thanking God for them for their commitment, for their faithfulness, for their standing firm. He prays for them in verse 10 constantly and earnestly and that God will supply what's lacking in their faith. This standing firm thing is a big deal. It's not letting anything come between us and the Lord. It's having faith that's unmovable, that's unchangeable, that's undefeatable, that's literally a force of God. One of the candidates in the debate the other night, one of the ten candidates in the debate the other night, on Thursday night, the second night, said, shame on we Christians because of our intolerance. And so it begins. We're not intolerant toward people we can't be except when God is. And there's times when that's so. We are intolerant of sin because God is, including and especially our own, my own. When I'm conscious of that and intolerant of that, then it makes me much more humble toward others. And so we stand firm. Verses 11 through 13, I, I, I think the main idea there, at least that I liked, was the idea of having strong hearts. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Remember he talked about we, you long to see us and we long to see you. And now Paul prays, not just for Timothy to go see you, but for us to get to see each other. Paul hopes that there's an occasion when he can go back and to see them. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father and when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Above all else, with a firm faith, these new persecuted Christians need strong hearts. It's not the kind you get from medicine or medical procedures. It's not the kind that exercise helps. It's not the kind we can do much of anything about ourselves except to invite God to give us that. Paul prays, God, please let their love increase. so much that it overflows. 
And the first part of that's easy. He wants them to be especially loving toward each other. Don't you imagine that bond grows when they get together, as we talked about, in somebody's house that the authorities or the enemies wouldn't suspect? Or maybe not in a house because they would suspect that, but they go to some kind of secret place, a grove of trees, or behind a building, or beside a river, or whatever it is, and they meet there together, and they pray together, and they encourage each other there together. Well, I imagine they would draw closer. Like soldiers do when they're fighting a common enemy. And that draws them closer together. The more difficult part is what he tacks on there. Not just that God would make their love increase for each other, but for everyone else. even, I think, for their enemies. The ones who are making their lives so difficult. And maybe, we're not told about this, but maybe even taking some of their lives. Hmm. They're much harder to love. and to pray for. But I think when we do that enough, when we pray for them enough, God begins to change us and to want better for them and ultimately to want salvation for them. Not to relieve our suffering, although that may be a byproduct, but so that they can be saved. What's the motivation for that? It's so that we ourselves, not not our enemies, it's so that we ourselves can stand before God, which we will one day, and be blameless. And it's because Jesus is coming back. And we're waiting for that and we're preparing for that. The much bigger motivation for standing firm, for having our hearts strengthened is that that people be saved and that Jesus is coming back and when that happens that's it there's no more time for us to do anything there's no more time for people to come to Jesus Christ that's it and we don't know when that is it it seems to us doesn't it Like that time gets closer all the time and maybe more immediate all the time. And are the people I love and care about already across the line on God's side? Or not yet?
and are the people that I don't care very much about except that God does and so wants me to, are they there yet? We're going to sing our course of decision. And we do this every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day. Because it's, it's an important time for us to think about what God's saying to us. We emphasize a lot that it's a time, if you want to respond to Jesus Christ and accept him and his salvation, you can do that. It's a great time to do that. But remember, it's about what the Lord is saying through his message. And this is about standing firm no matter what. Let's stand and sing together, and if you have a decision to make here or where you stand, please do that this morning. Father, uh, thank you for being in our midst today uh, and for being the one we strive for, to be like the one we serve, the one we're looking forward to spending eternity with. And Father, it it's becoming more apparent in our world that that standing firm, despite everything that's going on around us, will become more necessary. Father, we pray for the wisdom to see that and then the strength to do that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.